Well, good morning, Bellevue. This is the day the Lord has made, and we will be glad in the rain. Amen. 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 Well, thank you. Thank you, Paula. Thank you, John. Uh, for the good. And Evan, thanks for filling in for James. Now, I know James is watching live and in color. So let's greet James. Say it loud enough that he can hear you. Good morning, James. That was pretty weak. I don't think he heard you. Come on. Good morning, James. Good morning, James. Hope you get well soon. I am not in a series of sermons. I'm just doing a hodgepodge of sermons. And I will start a new sermon series after Labor Day on a trip to Graceland to see the King. And it's a play on words. And uh, it's about grace and it's about the king, but not the king that you're thinking of. All right. Well, to get us ready for the fall and for all of the various ministries that are coming and all the recruiting that is coming, I, I want to I talk this morning, give us a challenge uh, to step up to the plate. Whenever you're recruited, step up to the plate. And so this morning, my topic is the big question from James, the second chapter, verse 14. If you want to turn there and just keep your Bibles open, second James 2, 14. Now, I know all of us are concerned about the COVID and the new surge that's happening, and it's scary. And so let's, let's pray about that this morning before I preach. Father, there are so many people that, that we need to pray for this morning. And there are so many, so many needs. And so, Father, I just pray that as this new surge of virus is upon us, that it will not overwhelm us. Because we're not recovered from the first surge yet. And so remind us that you can hear all our prayers and you can see all our needs, and you're a provider. And Lord, as we face this new surge of the virus, may you use this time to grow us in our faith and understanding of you. And may you use this time, and may we use this time, to praise you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy and your love. And Father, we know this outbreak of COVID-19 has not surprised you because you are a sovereign God, even over this. And so, Father, let that truth comfort us, and may it give us opportunities to comfort others as well. Now, Father, pour through me the gift of preaching. Take these human words and use them to speak to us today and give each of us just the message you want us to hear, because we pray to you in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. When I was a kid, vacation Bible school was a big part of my summer, and we went to several. Did you all do that too? We went to several. My home church was the Hampton Christian Church, and we went to vacation Bible school. In those days, they had it two weeks. Can you imagine? I think that's almost criminal. <laughs> two weeks of vacation Bible school. And then I went to the Union Baptist Church because... They drove a bus through the community and picked up all of us kids and 
That was great fun. And then the children's Bible mission always came to our little community, just our little community. We had this great big building in our community called the Brown Castle. And they had vacation Bible school for us at Brown's Castle. And they told Bible stories with flannel boards. And I thought that was neat. And Mr. Yacht played an accordion <laughs> and wore a double-breasted suit to vacation Bible school. But I thought Mr. Yacht was really cool, really cool, and his accordion was cool. Now, besides the Kool-Aid and the cookies, my favorite thing about vacation Bible school was the singing, was the singing. And boy, we sang deep spiritual songs back in those days, didn't I? Deep and wide, deep, and remember that? Climb, climb up Sunshine Mountain. I never did understand that song. Climb, climb up Sunshine Mountain. The B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Did you all sing that one? Remember, remember that one? And this little light of mine, of course, we all know that one. And then I guess that my favorite song in vacation Bible school was Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Praise You the Lord. Because it could be real loud. Hallelujah, Hallelujah, then what? Praise you the Lord, and back and forth, and back and forth, and then everybody screamed, praise ye the Lord. And the boys, we always liked, I am in the Lord's army. And then we sang, if you're saved and you know it, say, oh, you did too. If you're saved and you know it, say, amen. If you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. If you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. Show it. Now, someone said faith is like calories. You can't see them, but you can see the results. Now, if we say we believe like we should, then why do we behave like we shouldn't? It's a fair question. It's a penetrating, penetrating question. My text today is James, the second chapter. We'll begin at verse 14 and go through verse 26. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothes and lacks food, daily food, and one of you says to them, go and be fed, but don't give them what they, their body needs. What good is it? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. But some will say, you have faith, I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one good. Even the devils believe, and they shudder. Senseless person, are you willing to learn that faith without works is useless? Second time it said it. Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works in offering, his, uh, offering Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works. And by works, faith was made complete. And the scripture was fulfilled that said, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. 
And he called God, and he called, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messages, messengers and sending them out by a different route? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, also faith without works is dead. Third time he said it. The big question, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works, can such faith save him? Now, I, I think the big question will help us as we gear up for the fall and ask for volunteers for all the various ministries. The big question is all about putting feet on our saving faith. Ephesians, the second chapter, tells us that we are saved by grace into serving faith. Ephesians 2, 8 says... For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. Now the truth of Scripture, it always has been, and it always will be till Jesus comes. The truth of Scripture is that you are saved by grace through faith. We are not saved by works. But look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. So here it is. Save by grace through faith for good works. We have been saved to serve. Now, folks, the absence of good works is an indicator of the absence of real saving faith. Genuine saving faith produces a working faith. Now, as we work our way through this message, just keep in mind, if you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. In verse 14, James says, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works, can such faith save him? Now, claims to have faith. It does not say that this person has faith. It says they claim to have faith. They talk a good line. They know all the phrases, know all the words, but they do not back up what they say with their work. It's a dead faith. And as I said three times in this text, James says, faith without works is dead. Now, <laughs> have, you no <laughs> have you noticed that people who say they're people of faith sometimes aren't? Have you noticed that? We are so quick, we are so quick to label a person as a Christian if they make the slightest nod toward Christianity after a ball game, after an athletic event, and they're interviewing a member of the winning team, and he says, well, I just want to thank the good Lord, and puts his finger up in the air. You know, 
And people say, oh, do you hear that? He must be a Christian. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Faith is more than what we say. Now, you folks who like uh, professional football, the NFL, you may remember Eugene Robertson. He played for the Atlanta Falcons. The night before the Super Bowl, he was arrested for soliciting a female policeman for sex. Now, here's the kicker. The night before, Eugene Robinson was awarded the Bart Starr Award for High Moral Character by Athletes in Action, which is a Christian organization. He returned the award. <laughs> not everybody that says they're a Christian is a Christian. Have you noticed that not everybody who has the little Christian symbol on their bumper is a Christian, that little fishy, you know, that that's their testimony that they're a Christian? Have you noticed a lot of those people aren't Christians? Have you noticed that out on the highway? They will run over you. In the name of Jesus, of course. James says, claim faith which doesn't produce is phony. So the big question is, can claim faith that has no evidence of holiness save you? Now, James's point here, saving faith, genuine faith, always manifests itself in active serving faith. Let me pull three things out of our text, and the first one is this. Genuine faith always gets involved. Genuine faith always gets involved. Now, one of my favorite theologians is Peanuts. Charlie Brown and Linus are in the house watching it snow. Out there is poor Snoopy laying on top of his doghouse, freezing to death in the snow. His food dish is empty. And Charlie Brown and Linus are discussing how sad it is to see poor Snoopy out there cold and hungry. Poor Snoopy. He's so cold. He's so hungry. We ought to do something about it. Yeah, let's do something about it. They go out to Snoopy and they say, be of good cheer, Snoopy. Be warm and well fed. And they go back in the house. <laughs> now, where did Charlie Brown get that? Right here out of James, the second chapter. If a brother or sister is without clothes or lacks daily food, and no one, and one of you says to them, go in peace, <laughs> stay warm, and be well fed, but don't give them what the body needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. Genuine faith gets involved. If you see a person, a homeless person, a hungry person, cold, hungry, whatever the need, and you go up to them and say, well, brother, I sure feel your pain. God bless you. I'm praying for you. And do nothing. James is telling us that is not faith. Real faith gets involved. Real faith acts. Real faith is practical. Real faith gets involved in meeting the needs of others. If we have the ability to meet the need of someone else and we do not do it, James flat out says that our faith is dead. Now imagine someone comes in here. 
They had a terrible week. Wrecked their car. Didn't have any insurance. And we gather around them to comfort them. Are, are you okay, brother? Did, 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 did you get injured? No, no, thank God. We're okay. Well, I am so sorry. And we should be sorry. But eventually someone says, I'm $300 sorry. Another one says, I'm $300, and I'm $300, and I'm $300. That's exactly what James is talking about. Genuine faith is more than what we say. Faith expresses itself in actions of love. Look what John says. 1 John, the third chapter. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Hmm. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. That's exactly what James is saying. If we have genuine faith, then we get involved. Genuine faith meets needs because your faith goes to work. Ashley Montague is a social biologist, not a Christian. But man, he has a lot to say about love. And he says, basically, there are three kinds of love. He said, love is not only a subjective feeling, not only an emotion, but love is a series of acts by which one conveys to another the feeling that he is deeply involved. Second, love is unconditional. It makes no bargains, trades with no one for anything, and then third, love is supportive. Real love conveys to the other person that you will never commit the supreme treason that one human being can commit against another, namely failure or desertion when, when you are needed the most. See, genuine faith has to get involved. It can't stay uninvolved. It is compelled by something deep inside of us, which is the Holy Spirit of God, to say, I have got to get involved in this. Genuine faith gets involved. Hard on the heels of this is verse 18, which says, genuine faith shows up in good works. Genuine faith shows up in good works. Look at verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you faith by my works. Oh, Brother James, this is Jesus' brother who wrote this. Oh, Brother James, I really do believe in Jesus. Well, show me. Don't tell me. Show me. We do what we believe. Do you agree with that? We act on what we believe. Our actions reflect our hearts. And if our lives do not manifest faith that we claim, then faith is not there. It's just that way. It's only talk. It's only yada, 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 yada. Now, James isn't saying that we need to add faith to our, or add 
works to our faith to be saved. Don't go out here and say, oh, Campbell's preaching work salvation. No, no, I'll come and get you if you say that. James isn't saying we need to add works to our faith to be saved. He is saying that true faith is the engine of the Christian life. True faith shows whether or not, or true works rather, show whether we have true faith or not. See, involved faith that is proven by what we do keeps us on track. Keeps us on track. See, involved faith shows up in our choices. It shows up in our priorities. It shows up in our actions. Involved faith shows up in our relationships, particularly our relationships. And boy, James gets real bold here. He says we can believe the right thing, we can hold to the right truths, and maybe we will still come up short. We will still come up short with our faith. We have to put something into, into action. And James 2, 19, he gets really bold. He says, you believe that God is one good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Now, we may say, well, I believe in God. I do believe in God's one. James says, okay, good. You believe that there's one God? You believe in the unity of God? You, you, you believe the doctrines of the scripture? Oh, yes, brother James. You intellectually believe that. Yes, I do. Well, you did good. You did really good. And then James gets really sarcastic. He says, oh, you think you are really something if you believe all that? Then let me tell you something. Demons believe that and shudder. Dr. Warren Wearsby calls it demonic faith. I like the term. Demonic faith. Now, I admit orthodox conservative theology is better than heresy, yes. But orthodox conservative theology may not be enough. Let me tell you something. There, are, there is no such thing as a liberal demon. There's no such thing as a liberal demon. Every demon could sign the Baptist faith and message which is the doctrinal statement of the Southern Baptist Church. Every demon could sign the doctrine of faith to any conservative Bible-believing church. There is no such thing as a heretical demon. They believe everything orthodox, everything. And they shudder. They shudder. This is the only time that the word shudder is used in the New Testament. It means to bristle. To bristle, to have the hair stand on in. In other words, the demons are in real terror here. Now, many of us have an intellectual faith. Now follow this. Demons have an emotional faith. I believe it. And then it stops. Demons say, I believe it. <laughs> and their hair stands on in. Because they know the implications of not putting their faith into action. And they shudder. 
Now, this is metaphorical. I, I don't know if demons have hair or not. That, I don't know about that. But it's metaphorical. Demons go one better than religious phonies. They shudder. They shake. And they're in grave fear because they know the implications. They have claimed faith. Claim faith doesn't produce peace. Claim faith doesn't produce joy. Claim faith doesn't produce righteousness. Claim faith does not produce righteous works. But see, genuine faith changes your life. Look at verse 20. How foolish. Can't you see the faith without works or good deeds is useless? Genuine faith does something. Faith produces faithfulness. Now why do demons believe and shudder? Because they know that genuine faith is more than what we believe. We can believe all the right doctrines. And that's a good start. But it's not enough. We may be in danger of fooling ourselves into thinking that we're okay, but neither what we say nor what we believe is evidence of true faith. Have you ever read President Carter's book, Why Not the Best? You ought to read it. Jimmy Carter said that what really turned him around, turned his faith around, was when someone asked him this question, Jimmy, if you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. I don't have time to go into all this, but there are two examples in this text of how genuine faith changes you. The first one is Abraham. Abraham's faith absolutely turned his life upside down. James says, wasn't Abraham our father justified by works? Look at this. In offering Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works faith was made complete, and then the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. Can you imagine? And you see that a person is justified by works, not by faith alone. Now, we all know that Abraham was the father of faith. He was saved by his faith. Jesus said, God said this back in Genesis 15. And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. The Apostle Paul uses that passage of Scripture two times to prove that none of us are justified by works, that we're justified by, by faith and what we justified by faith. And it's always been that way. James says that genuine faith changes your life. And did it ever change Abraham's? Would you have had enough faith when God said, Abraham, I want you to take your son and offer him as sacrifice? Lord, this is, this is the boy of the future. This is the boy of the promise. We didn't have this boy till we were 100 years old. This is, this is the child that you promised us for years and years and years. And, and you want me to do what? 
Okay, Lord, I will. You talk about change. Someone said Abraham was not saved by faith plus works, but by faith that works. Faith changed Abraham's life, and boy, did it ever. And then genuine faith <laughs> changed Rahab's life. Look at verse 24. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers, that's the Jewish people, and sending them out a different route. Now here's Abraham, the great Bible hero, the father of the faith. And here is Rahab, a prostitute. James is making a point. Doesn't matter who you are. Genuine faith works the same way. Rahab protected the spies that came in to spy out the land of Canaan. And she sent them another way to protect them from her own people. And James says she showed her faith by what she did. Her actions matched her faith. Her faith matched her actions. Now if you study the genealogy of Jesus over in Matthew's gospel, you will discover that Rahab is an ancestor of Jesus. A Gentile woman who is a prostitute is an ancestor of Jesus. So even Jesus has got skeletons in his closet. So we can have all the faith in the world, but until the faith has changed our life by producing good works, then it doesn't matter if we're an Abraham or a Rahab. Well, let's do a little review. Are you with me? Genuine faith gets involved. Genuine faith shows up in good works. Genuine faith changes our life. Soren Kierkegaard was a Danish philosopher and he told a memorable parable about Duckland. It was Sunday morning in Duckland and all the ducks waddled into church took their customary pews. All the ducks sang their beloved duck hymns. And then it came time for the sermon and the duck pastor waddled up to the pulpit and he read from the duck Bible, ducks you have wings and with wings you can fly like eagles. You can soar into the sky. Ducks use your wings. Powerful message. And all the ducks quack, quacked, amen. And then... They got down out of their pews and they waddled home out of the church, never flew as God created them to fly because their works did not match their faith and their words did not match their works. See folks, few sights are as inglorious as a waddle, you know. Few sights are more glorious than ducks on the wing. And when those geese fly over my house, do that quacking sound in that form, that V form, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Now all God's children got wings. 
wings. The first wing is faith. The second wing is works. The first wing, faith, is the inspiration of the second wing, work. And when faith and works are beating together, we rise from our inglorious waddles to the glory of our lives on the wing. Faith and works. Faith, if it does not have works, is dead by itself. If you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. Pray with me. Father, I pray in these difficult days that you would help us to put our faith into action by being servants to those who need your love. I pray that you would help us to put our faith into action by serving in the ministry of Bellevue Baptist Church. Help us to be servants to one another here. And Father, help us just to not waddle through life, through the Christian life, but soar on wings of faith and works so that those around us will know what genuine faith in you really is and see our good works and give glory to you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Today we offer an invitation for you to come and accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Our invitation is threefold. We invite you to come and to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior if you never have. To confess that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son, the living God. Put your faith in Him. Let him save your soul. Let him save you of all your past, your present, and all the bad things we will do in the future. And it's a free gift. And it comes to you by grace. Our second invitation is for those of you who would like to become members of Bellevue Baptist Church. We'll come and we'll help you to do that. Then our third one is if you would like to be baptized, you never obeyed him in Christian baptism, you come, talk to us, we will help you to do that as well. I pray that you'll make one of those three decisions as we stand and sing.